Welcome to the Horsewise Podcast with Lynn Reardon, where we share stories of horses and people and what they teach each other. On today's episode, I talk with horsewoman Kathleen Beckham on the topic of, does your horse do something because of you or despite you? I hope you enjoy the show and have a wonderful day. And here we go. So we are officially on the Horsewise Podcast and Facebook Live. I'm Lynn Reardon. I'm the host of the Horsewise Podcast. And this is Kathleen Beckham, who's standing or sitting in front of her wonderful assortment of gear. And uh, we wanted to do this live because we thought it would be fun just to experiment with that. And also both Kathleen and I are getting used to technology and how to sort of share some of our discussions. Uh, about a couple of weeks ago, we had Kathleen on the podcast and it was just one of those interviews where, I mean, we lost track of time. It was over an hour and we realized, hey, we really need to come and do this again. Like there was so much to talk about. So um, we decided to come back and we've selected a topic. Actually, Kathleen suggested su- set up a topic of based on an article she just did on her on her doing the work page and also on her professional page. And the title of it is Because Of or Despite. And it goes into a discussion of when horses are working with us and we're working with the horses. Do they do things because of us or despite us, in spite of kind of our, you know, maybe less than ideal timing and whatnot. And we also thought from the previous podcast episode that there was this whole topic of filling in, how horses fill in, and we'll get to that as well. But I'd like to just start the podcast by again, welcoming you again, Kathleen, Kathleen Beckham. And let's just kind of dive into your post, because of or despite. Yes. So this was something I had heard uh, quite a while ago. And um, it is very thought provoking. Um, As in, it's one of those things that horses are aware of, and we're not always aware of is they know if they're doing something because you have caused them to do it or because they're doing it despite what you're doing. Okay. Mm -hmm. So a classic example, uh, there's a couple and filling in is an example of despite. Okay. Um, But there's another example that I think a lot of people can relate to is uh, I used to do a lot of clinics in person. And um, the first day of the clinic, people would come in and they would either be riding their horse or they would be on the ground. And I would say, well, it is so nice that you're here, you know, and and glad to meet you. I'm Kathleen and um, come over here and introduce me to you and your horse. And it was such a study of watching those that that time where me and the student were trying to converse a lot of times if they were on the ground the horse was pushing them across the arena Mm -hmm. to where i would have to follow them to carry on the conversation or the horse is circling between me and the person i'm trying to talk to and i'm kind of going oh and and then what happened and Oh, you know, oh yeah, okay. And, uh, you know, and, and if they were ridden, a lot of times they would push me across the arena if I didn't oh, want to wow. get stepped on by the horse or knocked into with their head or whatever. 
And so that's a really good example of the horse doing something despite the rider. You know, the rider's not asking the horse to move right then, mm-hmm. but the horse is moving despite the fact that the owner is not. Mm-hmm. And the owner actually is kind of uh, disconnected right then. Mm-hmm. And my horses, when you disconnect from them, they stop. They're yeah. like, we lost the feed. You know, yeah. let's just stop and We're see waiting, what's going waiting on. Waiting for the next right. next signal. Right. Yeah. So, but but a lot of people, you know, I would say, boy, did you notice that your horse pushed you about a hundred feet across this arena, and I had to follow you? Because see, you can see our footprints over there <laughs> right. where we started, and in a fresh arena, you could show them the path yeah. that they had traveled, and um, they would say, well, I was focusing on talking to you. And I'm thinking, well, honey, if you can't multitask, right. you know, we got a problem here because that's going to be the first thing we're going to need to talk about then, because there's always going to be something, multiple things you got to do when you're working with a horse, you know? So it would open a discussion, you know, to all this stuff. And, and a big part of that is just helping people develop from where all that stuff is going on despite them to, uh, pretty soon they've got more things going on because of them and less things going on despite them. And um, I feel like that's just a really interesting uh, way to look at the process of what's going on between us and our horse and a level of awareness that we can build in our work of simply looking at an interaction or having accomplished a task and say, okay, so do I know whether he did that despite me or because of me? Right. Because I need to develop a feel for that. And what's really interesting is that uh, women in particular think that they are never skilled enough to be able to tell. Hmm. Okay. And, and then I'll say, well, but if you had to guess, you know, what, did he do that because of you or despite you right there? And they said, well, if I had to guess, I would say he did it because of me. I said, well, then you're right. Because you just used your feel right there to make mm-hmm. that decision. That's what you need to do when you're by yourself and nobody's telling you you're right all the time. You know, right, is right. you need to say, okay, if I was guessing, what would I say? Right. I would say, you know, this, that, the other thing, whatever. Then you're probably right. Because when you start guessing you're going to operate more off a of feel and less off of all the Mechanical. academic voices in yeah. your head, you know, and stuff. Um, so I think it's a, it's a cool way to couch a uh, study in self-awareness and awareness of what's going on between us and our horse, because a horse who gets in the trailer because you put a bucket of grain in it and put it in his paddock and right. let him get on it on his own doesn't mean that he could be in California right now and load right. in the middle of a wildfire. I, I mean, they're, thinking, they're I was, I was absolutely just not even that close. Because, right. Yeah. Because then the horses never learned to rely on you to kind of support the operation. And having been in a situation myself, unfortunately, where I've had to evacuate horses, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, it really, it really shows. And then maybe you're not as calm as you normally would be in that situation. So, you know, you, you're, if you have not, if you've had no basis previously, that's where you really tend to get into trouble at that point. And your point about 
asking people to sort of guess whether they thought the horse did it because of them or despite them, I think is really astute. I sometimes work with clients and they, they kind of want you to tell them everything. And a lot of times I'll say, hey, what do you think? I'll do like that Socratic method because maybe I'm not actually holding the lead rope at that moment. I'm standing off to the side. Like, what do you feel in that lead rope rather than me coming over and telling you what you're feeling and what you rope. feel. Yes. Right. Because mostly it's not like I'm going to be there all the time. And almost every person I work with is, you know, sensitive. They're interested in their horse. Like you said, they just don't have that confidence to sort of trust what they're, they're feeling and sensing. And the only way to do that is to experiment and test your theory, so to speak. And of course, we, we try to set that up in a way that's safe, where you're not testing that theory in the middle of a wildfire. But, um, <laughs> and I think that's something where people just have to get a little more comfortable going out on that limb, as long as, again, you're setting it up for safety. There's no other way to really understand that. You can't really learn it from a book. You have to, no one can teach you what the feel is between you and your horse at that moment. And so that's what I find really fascinating about your post, because it's really talking about this dynamic kind of give and take between, like you said, the sweet spot between the horse that's totally oblivious. You, know, you mentioned like the warm blood's getting off the trailer and you open all the gates between the trailer and the, because that's the way you're going to, you know, sort of help the horse, but the horse is just sort of going, right? And versus everybody, the, the people on the other side of the spectrum who are trying to make it happen, you're going to make mm -hmm. the horse do it. And uh, many people are in one camp or the other, but you can get more in the middle. And that's where things really get so much more interesting and better from my perspective. I think so. But I think that spot is also really frustrating for a lot mm -hmm. of people because um, I wrote a newsletter years ago that was titled, It Depends. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you know that Ray Hunt said it, the Dorrances said it, all those guys, you know, the triumvirate of modern horsemanship they all said it was it depends well what about right. this well it depends what about that is this what i should do is this what i should always do well it depends right and when you when you come off of the um the extreme ends of uh an idea you know then you get into the realm of it depends which is kind of uh one of the unfortunate things about the middle, the moderate view there is that we have way more moving parts now because mm -hmm. when I was a hunter jumper trainer, the horses had one job to do and I didn't have to, there, there wasn't a, much, it depends, you know, aside from different horses, personalities, their backgrounds weren't different. Their breeding wasn't different. Mm -hmm. There, there wasn't a whole lot of variables. There weren't a lot of moving parts. Um, so I think when you go to that middle part, um, you end up with all these variables and that's what's so uncomfortable mm -hmm. for people. And it's uncomfortable for, for me and people with more experience as well as for people with less experience. It's simply that I think when you get more experience, you simply trust a little bit more that when you get yourself completely lost in the labyrinth, you'll either figure out a way to cut your way out of it <laughs> or, or, or just keep working until you get to the other side of it. Whereas a less experienced person is going to go, oh my God, I'm, I'm lost in a labyrinth. I'm going to starve and die in here. 
you know. Right. Well, right. no, you're not. Because before you starve, you're going to find your way out, you know. Right. And, and so many people, I think somebody just said it on the phone to me the, the other day, within the last, I don't know, 48 hours or so, I don't want to make any mistakes. Yeah, that's not possible. Yeah. It's, it's like, possible. I've called you because I don't want to make any mistakes. And I'm like, oh, don't put that on me. No, uh -uh. no, it's not no how it don't put that one on me. You know, because as many mistakes as I've made and I'm going to continue to make, I'm, I'm not going to guarantee, help me buy a horse. No, no, no. Do you know how many horses have been through here that didn't work out? You know, I just don't keep them if they're not going to work out. I find somebody who likes them and they can buy them from me. You know, mm -hmm. it's all good. It's fine. But, you know, not wanting to make mistakes makes you hate. It depends. Right. Right. And right. then also makes you want to be one of those people on the other side. Right. right. So either on the make, right. you know, and, you know, I, I kind of like the puzzles that that middle part, uh, presents to me because yeah, I'm going to make mistakes along the way. You know, the horse I'm riding now is a lot better than the last colt I started for myself. Mm -hmm. You know, the one I'm riding now is seven. The younger one is four. So there's three years gone by between those two horses. And I'm seeing in my seven-year-old, I'm like, well, I won't do that again. You know, right. well, I won't do that again. Well, I could <laughs> probably do that different. You know, and uh, Wendy Murdoch said to me, you know, she met him as a long five-year-old and she said, you've ridden this horse like a colt way too long, Kathleen. He should steer better than he does. She was really blunt with me. And my four-year-old, I'll tell you what, he steers. Yeah. You know, yeah. because I thought, well, you know, I, yeah, she's right. I didn't need to ride him like a colt. And now is that seven-year-old ruined? No, he's no. a really nice horse. Yeah. He's not ruined. You know, he's a really nice horse. Um, that was an inadvertent mistake on my part, oversight, whatever you can soften the word if you want to, but it was a mistake. Um, and if I was, I like to tell people, if you're good enough to make the mistake, you're probably good enough to fix it. Right. You know, if you're good, if you're so, good enough to care about the mistake too, like to or even it see and, it or even see it. Exactly. And, yeah. and it bothers you then. And I think you talked about labyrinths, you know, uh, people might assume that just because somebody is a teacher or a clinician or, you know, trainer that they never deal with labyrinths. And it's like, Oh no, there's still lots of labyrinths. They get more complicated. They get a little bit different. And like you said, we just know that, okay, I know I'm not going to starve to death and I, I might be a little frustrated, but I've been through enough of these that it's, it's uncomfortable, but it's, it's not as uncomfortable as the first two were. You know, right. like you start to go, and it's probably not quite as painful, hopefully, physically or mentally, um, which kind of gets into the topic of mindset, too, which is a big part of exploring that middle between oblivious and, you know, making a horse is that the person has to have the mindset to be able to not get hyper emotional or to blame themselves. Like it's one thing to take responsibility, right? Like, okay, I could have done that a lot better or my horse is troubled, I didn't quite catch that, I got him in a little bit of more trouble, but I, I recognize that I wanna do better. I feel in those situations, the worst you can do is berate yourself, and mm -hmm. then, and because it just makes it so much more complex than to get out. I had a podcast episode about the worst thing you can do is tell yourself that you suck and your horse hates you whenever something goes wrong, because that's really probably not true, and it just prevents you from sort of developing the perspective where you can actually change that and 
it's not a black and white situation. You know, it's, it's this evolution. And that's what I loved about your post because that's such a philosophical topic again, because of or despite, you know, um, really. Well, and I think it's, it's a, for women particularly, um, they kind of want to say, well, if what happens is good, I don't mind if it's because of me, uh -huh. but if what happens is bad, then I don't want to risk it being because of me. And I think we, we miss out on a lot of opportunities because that, see? So I think that it is a, uh, it's a pretty big deal. And it's also a lot where the mindset is concerned. In order to be able to consistently cause things to happen with a horse because of us personally, there's so much that has to go into that. We've got to learn the technique. We've mm -hmm. got to learn the movements. We've got to learn where to put our leg, where to put our hands, what our seat should be doing. If we're on the ground, we've got, you know, literally like dancing. I use the analogy of dancing a lot. You've got your feet doing one thing, your hand doing another. Then you've got your energy, which is doing another. You've got your, your, um, your yeah, your shoulders, your center, um, your life and where your eyes are and all there's all these elements that you have to gain some control of before you can consistently cause the horse to do things because of you instead of despite you and just the awareness of like a lot of those people I would ask I would say did you notice that your horse since we started talking moved you a hundred feet across this arena and I had no idea because I was focusing on talking to you right. and I I get that but as somebody who wants to be around a horse and wants to be safe and maybe someday wants to be the kind of person that a horse would look to mm -hmm. for direction and and comfortableness and information you know what should we do you know what because i always say you know i don't mind if he runs off i just want him to check in first right i just want that nanosecond to say no 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 it's just a dog you know like we have this really tall grass well we did this hay field until we could cut it and i told glenn i got this colt who's kind of spooky spooky and i told my husband glenn i said let's go out there and let's take the dogs with us okay and you help me keep track of the dogs so that I can let this colt know where they are because all he's going to see is the top of the grass waving as right. the dogs are running towards us. Right. So there's going to be this wave of moving grass that makes no sense <laughs> moving at him, kind of like taking him to the beach and having the waves come at right. him. So, and he, what did he do? He said, Oh my God, what is that coming at us? You know, should we leave? And I said, no, 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 stay right here. I said, it's Bud Light. It's our dog, Bud Light. You know, it's okay. And I kept him faced up. And then when Bud Light became visible, the cult went, oh, oh it's the okay. dog. And you could just feel all the tension go out of him. So I, I could get him to do that because of me, not despite me, right? Um, because I had a plan and we had a history together of a whole bunch of exercises we worked on where I give him direction. That's how this goes. I give you direction. You try to follow the direction you try. And if you can't, then I will help you. Um, but I think that it, 
there's a lot that goes into becoming that person who can consistently get things done because of them, not despite them, you know? Um, And it's something to, to me, it's something to strive for because the, the more I can get a horse operating where he feels like he's doing what he's doing because of me, the more competent I feel and the more confident I feel, even if that's a young horse or even if that's a horse I don't know very well or whatever. So there's kind of a gold mine in that. There's a whole bunch of things that I think people want. Like I want to feel more confident. I want to feel safer on my horse. I, um, I want him to look to me. You know, I want to be a good partner. I want him to like me. All these things, right? We have all these things that we want. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. And I'm like, okay, well, let me level with you. You're going to have to become a different person than you are right now. In order to get what you want, you're going to have to become a completely different person. Just let's, it's not a popular thing to say. No, and it's going to take a while. It's going to take a while. Oh, yeah. It's not just a matter of, okay, I saw DVD, I got it all. It's like, that's just not how it works. Yeah. You can't learn how to dance that way either. You have to, if you're learning how to dance, particularly a certain uh, genre of dance, you have to dance with different partners. You have to understand how to adapt, how to change. You need to learn the basic steps. As you said, the basic techniques, control of your own body and understanding of where to look, all of that. And then you have to adapt it to an individual partner. And there's no way that that doesn't take time. The good news is that the time is not only well spent, but it becomes sort of the point in and of itself. You start to really enjoy the process. And I think that's something that maybe in our culture in America is more results driven rather than actually the process kind of is the result. I feel like in horsemanship a lot of the time. And if you can have that, it changes your context. In other words, you're like, oh, okay, you know, I haven't, I don't have my canter pirouette yet. That's not a big deal because I'm going through this cool process. My horse and I are changing and growing together, but it just takes a little bit of a mindset shift to, to be able to do that. Yeah. And, and where the mindset is concerned, you know, it's, it's, it's a, you know, it ends up being a journey of self-discovery. And Mm -hmm. I have just felt like for me, when I heard, because of or despite I was like "Ooh, ouch you know wow because I had a way to describe what was going on between me and my horse and of another way to define to myself in my head the feel I was looking for which when we start talking about feel you know, is all this just very amorphous kind of stuff. But there's a feel that, you know, you are going to feel whether that horse is doing that because of you or despite you, Mm -hmm. you know, you're going to develop a feel for that. And developing a feel for that concept is part of developing your feel, period. It's an exercise in developing your feel, which which we all want to do. so I, I really enjoyed these little projects that, uh, that you, can, you can mess with with the horses. Now, I have messed with this with people as well. So here's a good example of how I messed with this with people. 
So I noticed, so when I was, uh, I used to travel a lot and I drove truck and trailer and did the whole thing, you know, mm -hmm. that, that people do. And, and then when I got married and settled on the home farm and everything, I would still fly out. And so I flew a lot more than I ever had. And, uh, but that was a lot quicker. I could go out and come back right. and go out and come back and still ride my horses and stuff. So, um, I would go to the airport and I would be wearing a backpack because I'd have my computer in there and a couple of books and a couple of magazines and, you know, my stuff and, and everything. And I'd be standing in a line because all you do at an airport is stand in line, right? <laughs> and I'd feel somebody pushing on my backpack. Oh, yeah. Pushing yeah. on my backpack, right? Now, they're pushing on me despite me, right. okay? And I'm thinking, where am I going to go? You right. pushing on me does not make the light turn green any sooner, right? No, no. So this is like me going up and putting my bumper on the bumper in yes. front of me at a stoplight. Right, right, yeah. yeah and right. saying, okay, let's just go ahead. I'm just going to push you through the intersection. Right. You know, nothing bad is going to happen. And I'm thinking, where am I supposed to go? And right. so what I started doing is I would feel that. And I would, what I would do is I would get out my phone, which is up there right now. I'd get out my phone and turn around so I was facing them and they'd back off because uh, they won't, they won't push on your front. They'll, especially no. on a woman, right. they'll push on your back. And especially they, they won't push on your back. If you're not wearing a backpack, that's the other thing I've, yeah. I've tried was what happens if I take off my backpack? Well, they don't, won't touch me. No. They'll touch, touch my backpack, backpack right. but they yeah. won't touch me. Right. So I just... And I thought, ooh, I got that person to back off because of me, right. not despite me, right? So it was, it's that kind of stuff, you know, is, is same with the horses is, can I go out there in the field and catch that horse because of me, because I caught his eye and I right. drew him a little bit, not because he doesn't care whether I catch him or not and he's busy grazing or right. a friend of mine used to always go catch them when they were pooping and they didn't want right. to run away. So we, we always told her she was cheating. Yeah. Um, but there, have, you know, she's I getting that horse caught despite her. You we know? have a rule. We have a rule. Like when I work with interns that if the horse is urinating or pooping, you can't catch them. Like you have to wait for that to be over. <laughs> it's like, would you want someone, would you want someone to catch you when you were, you know, in the bathroom? No, it's unfair. Like have some courtesy. And at least you know whether or not that horse actually allowed you to catch them or if like, they just, right you know, so if a horse is tough to catch and you do that they start to really like hate you because they're like man i can't even pee around her like she's know, gonna right. she's gonna rope me so yeah she's so, probably watching me from the house right, right, right now just right. Waiting those are the ones that get all shy about it right <laughs> behind the trees or something oh, oh goodness well i i have a saying that i will sometimes uh tell students which is you know, again, when they're berating themselves or they're not really feeling like they're not sure about all this, but they think if something didn't go perfectly, it was because they did it all wrong. And I'll say, instead, tell yourself, I'm becoming the kind of person who will be able to tell these things with my horse. I'm becoming the kind of person who's really aware of my actions and my horses. I'm becoming the kind of person who's developing feel. And that is a lot better than, again, I suck or I have no idea what's going on. It's like, well, you're becoming that kind of person. So you're exploring, you're questioning yourself, you're paying attention. That, that is accurate. That is the process. And that immediately seems to shift people mentally a little bit kind of out of that, that dark hole. 
or for some people it drives them you know deeper into someplace else but they were already kind of set up to go there like it can create an opportunity for self-selection of whether or not you really want this or not in a very a supportive way like i don't mind if you don't want to go this way there's lots of other ways to go and i'm certainly not going to judge you i mean different things work for different people but you know what the environment i'm working in or what i'm working on in myself and i, I like to share and develop myself by you know teaching or and helping other people is the process and so you're probably not going to like working with me if that's not your goal too so you might as well find out now and then we could just hang out and do other things that have nothing to do with horses so right that's kind of my well and i think people also need to um understand that that transformative learning as in learning that actually creates a measurable change okay is going to be uncomfortable mm -hmm. you know so i i encourage people to uh track their level of discomfort because if rather than telling them embrace the discomfort right where they go well that's that's crap advice i don't want to embrace the discomfort you know that right. just sounds stupid when you say it right it's like saying don't right. be scared or don't be frustrated right. it doesn't work you know right. um but if you say hey i want you to track your level of discomfort because we kind of need to know where your highest levels of discomfort are That's a good point. because those are are things we need to make sure we get back to in the long run mm -hmm. because in the long run we maybe not today maybe right. you know we're doing something else today blah 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 but that is a it's not that it's a red flag. It's an indicator on the dashboard that we shouldn't just piece of, put a piece of duct tape over, you know? Right. So those are the kind of things, like a lot of people um, have a great deal of discomfort when as a teacher, you accidentally contradict something somebody else taught them right. that they really value, right. okay? And, it's funny because I developed a feel for that when I was teaching a lot on the road. And I would, I would say something that to me was a very familiar, it was a familiar horsemanship context. Everybody just saw what happened. Right. You know, certain people in the audience would say, well, of course she said that. That's what you say when that happens, when you're a horsemanship instructor. Right. And you could just feel the person inside their discomfort level yeah. just shoot off the graph you know and i'm like oh my gosh here goes. dang it <laughs> just walked over somebody's grave or you know right. whatever the saying is you want to use for it but i just hit one of those things where somebody they admire taught them the opposite you know right. and now i just walked right straight into it and banged my forehead on the tree branch you know um and then you know i had to figure out how to kind of get them feeling better again because i also found that people would uh hold on to that feeling for quite a long while in the lesson 
Right, and it um, would be indirectly your fault. Like they would feel like oh, a resistance to then hearing anything else you had to say, even though you didn't. You didn't. I'm sure you didn't. I didn't mean to frame it as a, you didn't go. Yeah. Anybody who taught you this is an idiot. You just said something straightforward, like what based on. Yeah, because yeah, you know I'm operating in the moment. Right. And I'm also kind of willing to do anything that's going to help the horse. Right. You know, I'm not. I'm not attached to one you know sport discipline or breed discipline or anything like that so there isn't just one way to do it you know right, right. so which also kind of would strip people's gears you know anyway um but i remember this lady she was trying to get her horse uh freed up through his back mm -hmm. and she was obviously a dressage rider because she was wearing britches and riding in a dressage saddle and um i said to her i said why don't you uh, try softening your thighs mm -hmm. and rolling your your femur out from your pelvis just a little bit to kind of almost feel like you're giving that horse's withers and upper back a little bit more room yeah. up underneath your seat, you know. And she looked at me and she said, I have spent a lot of money learning how to roll my thighs in. And don't you think I'm going to change that for you? Oh God! She wouldn't even try it, and I thought, "Whoa, okay, okay, wow, you know." So, all right, well, I will step out of that wheelhouse, um, <laughs> and we'll do something just totally inane and useless that you can feel good about. You right, know, I, right. I just got my my walking orders. Yeah. You know, so I I think that uh, that discomfort of learning can be you know, all kinds of things. It can be the physical discomfort of learning. And then there's, you know, all the emotional discomfort of learning is, is when you're really, really learning, you're getting into a place where you have quite a level of incompetence, you know, right. and it, it is always super uncomfortable to be incompetent. And to appear incompetent in front of people is even worse. It's you know? physically awkward. You know, like uh, a few weeks ago, someone at the barn that I operate out of, they set up a roping lesson with a really great teacher. She's a, she's a team roper, a really great. She was just super fun. And it was mixed between kids and adults. And I, I don't particularly rope. I, I'll use the rope a little bit to, you know, kind of help gentle horse a little bit. But I'm, it's been a goal of mine to get better at that. So we go and of course all of the adults, the kids are too, but the adults are super awkward because we're just like, what is happening? Like we, we're all athletic. We all, you know, spend most of our days riding or doing other things that are physical, but we all look like we immediately just had become like covered in cement. And then we could see some of us were like, oh, I feel really stupid. And others were like, well, I feel stupid, but I'm going to go for it anyway. And the kids, they would just go faster and figure it out. They would just kind of dive bomb into different techniques and so it was really interesting to watch that and i've said a lot to people that i'm working with maybe they're doing groundwork for the first time i'll be like you know it kind of feels awkward and you feel stupid and that's how it's supposed to feel and i just want you to know that you're doing it right if that's how it feels it's just it just that's how it is and um rather than saying oh you're doing it wrong if you're doing it right it would be perfectly smooth but it is it's particularly for adults it's really really hard to get back into that space where you're physically awkward as well as mentally feeling like you're not getting it. Yeah. Um, so. And, and there's, there's neurological, there's science behind why that is, you know, it is neurologically easier for children to learn new tasks, just right. like it's neurologically easier for kids to learn a new language, right. you know, um, that's, that's neurology. And, 
you know, it, there's nothing wrong with you. It means you mm. have normal neurology. There's actually <laughs> right. something right with you, you know. Right. But for some reason, people think they should be able to step into something completely new like that and and learn it really quickly. Um, so, you know, I, I spend a lot of time trying to just simply get people to um, track that discomfort level so that they can... Uh, gain a level of comfort with that discomfort level, as in they right. expect it to be uncomfortable and right. not uh, not unbearably so, um, but it's going to happen. You know. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really insightful. This idea of tracking the discomfort level, and it reminds me a little bit of something you said in our previous podcast episode about what's at the bottom of a horse. And sometimes the things that are making someone the most uncomfortable, in other words, where they're tracking that discomfort, that might be something that's a little bit at the bottom of them, something that has maybe been a, a belief that they've held or a physical pattern that they've held for a long time that has been a bit more of a key roadblock. And, and if you can say, hey, I'm really uncomfortable around this, why? Is it more of a mental thing? Is it a physical thing? Then you can go, okay, well, let's work on it. Um, and then you can, it's like a linchpin. It, it'll, it'll kind of open the space a little bit. And I've learned that when I'm the most uncomfortable, um, whether it's with horses or something else, it's almost always brushing up against something that I don't believe I can quite do, or I have a uh, lack of understanding about how to actually do it. So I have some skepticism that it's doable. That's just mm. the way my mind works. I can, I'm can be a skeptical person. So I've learned to go, okay, you're feeling uncomfortable in this particular way. You're probably having this kind of thought process about it. Let's examine that, break it down, take it one step at a time. And, and it does seem to help. It's like, it's a way, to, it's not that you can control everything, but you can certainly can be aware of and control your thought process. And then you can take it from there. So it's like, it's again, it's a real mental discipline thing. Um, yeah. You know, um, so Years ago, I was riding with Mark Rashid and I had regularly and I had a an unraced thoroughbred and he, um, you know, that horse, you know, he didn't have any kind of a foundation and I didn't know how to do that. And so I just kind of rode what I had, you know, and right. so he was a five year old, basically unbroke thoroughbred and I just kind of put tack on him and rode him around. And uh he would spook in one corner of the arena, which is what horses that are consistently ridden in arenas with other people who everyone believes that this is what horses do. So the horses, every single horse there becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? right? So later on in my career, I would actually take colts out on their first trail ride on windy days because all of us believed you could do it. Right. You know, and guess what? We did it. We were yeah. successful because everybody there believed it was possible. So I would be at this barn where everybody believed that horses spook in a corner of the arena. And so my horse would. So I'm doing my lesson with Mark Rash and I've been looking forward to this for a long time and I've spent money and waited and waited and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And my horse spooks. And so I get frustrated. And so, you know, Mark, bless his heart, he's been working with me for a few years at that point. And he stops me and he says, all right, Kathleen, could you just, just act like a person who isn't frustrated for a minute and just <laughs> see what your horse would do if you did that? 
I mean, I'm thinking, and now I think, well, he was so frustrated with me. He must right. have been about ready to just sit down and cry about it. But, um, <laughs> and I was like, fine, I'll try that. You know, cause I, you know, I was like this freaking horse. I, you know, I just, uh. yeah. <laughs> so I started doing that and I actually, it started a different dialogue in my head yeah. where, and it was like, it was like creating a marker, like, Oh, Kathleen, is that the first niggling of frustration you're feeling right now? <laughs> like I had never, I'd never tracked it. Right. So of course right. I couldn't control it because I had never tracked it. And where I came from with the way I grew up is, is you did get frustrated with horses. That's you know, the deal. there was yeah. cussing and growling and hissing and there was a lot of um, verbal frustration. Don't you let that cow tow you towards the end right, gate, right. you know, and name calling and raised voices. And um, I mean, it was it, no wonder I kind of became like that around horses because it was inadvertently modeled, you know? Right. And so I started tracking. I'm like, oh, I think I'm starting to feel frustrated. So maybe I should try that thing where I, at least, and then I would say, okay, so let's just say a person over here who's not frustrated, what would they do right now? Right. Well, they might do a circle there with their horse and they might do a transition right before you think the horse is going to spook. Right. Or, you know, you might, you know, you might get in ahead of time and still waiting for him to spook and then getting frustrated and feeling like you want to take a two by four to him. Right. You know, it, um, <laughs> it, uh, it totally changed the way I thought about being frustrated. And um, it's funny because my husband says now, he says, he'll say to people, he'll say, I wish she was half as patient with, uh, with me as she was <laughs> with these horses sometimes, you know, because like at the back of a horse trailer, you will never, ever see a hint of frustration with me because I just, I don't get frustrated at the back of a horse trailer. And, and I, I would say pretty much, I never get frustrated with horses anymore. I can sometimes get frustrated with myself. So then right. I have to use the same technique and go, okay, so if I wasn't frustrated with myself right now, what would I do? Right. You know, and then I can choose to do a different thing, which usually gets different feedback and it starts a different loop. So I'm getting out of the frustration loop and just into a different loop. Because uh, different in, different out, you know, and and so it it was yeah. a really easy thing to do that was really pretty magical and and a really wise, you know, piece of advice um, was and and he wasn't saying act. He was act like you're not frustrated. Like okay, so ride that horse who scares the crap out of you, but act like you're not scared. Well chemically you can't do that okay right, right. i mean chemically it doesn't work so he wasn't saying act like you're not the way you are he was just saying identify the way you're feeling and then understand that you don't have to act the way you feel right, right. you know um and there's a thing too where um i was taught that basically your emotions come from thoughts right so you kind of in the back of your mind you're this is i'm speaking for myself in the back of my mind i'm riding a horse that's really tight uh who might have a tendency to buck or rear 
And so I'm thinking in the back of my mind, this is probably going to happen, or if this happens, what am I going to do? And I'm not necessarily consciously thinking that, but it's just kind of going back, and then I tighten up. And then I'm going to get frustrated because it's going to happen, right? And then I'm going to be like, ah, I knew that was going to happen. But if I can go back and say, hey, what would I be thinking if I wasn't concerned about that? Not being reckless, but what is a different, like, well, if one thought might be, if she gets tight, I can help her. I can help her relax. I can think of something that will help her relax and maneuver. Or another thing I might think is that it's better that it comes out than if it stays suppressed. So if we need to go into the center and do some short serpentines, that's, that's good. That's a good thing. Um, I remember a clinician that I rode with one time, he would say when something was quote, going wrong with a horse and a rider, he'd be like, there's so many good things going on under the surface there. You can focus on just what was going wrong, but maybe because that horse was really spooky and you did some short serpentines or you kind of changed the subject, that horse did a beautiful hindquarter deal. Yes, the horse was still very upset, but you, so you focus on all of those things too. Like it's a, it's a, it's not, it's rarely black or white, black and white totally. And so I found that very helpful too. And I, I really think what you're saying is insightful, uh, you know, how Mark put it to you, which is like, you know, not pretend like you're not frustrated or just think positively, which isn't quite, that could be kind of annoying too. Like, you know, just singing butterfly songs and whatever. It's more like, well, if you, if you're a person who wasn't frustrated, what would that person be doing now? Is just kind of, it, it makes it more emotionally detached and a little bit more playful too, right? Well, and the idea being that you can, you can choose the way, you can choose what you do. Right. You know, you can choose what you do. And I was like, wow. Well, you're, I mean, I can't argue with that. Of course I can choose what I do, you know, mm -hmm. at any moment. And I think the other part of that was, I think when you get too much in your head, um, which I can also do, mm -hmm. um, I think when you get too much in your head, it's a way that we can leave, leave the horse. Mm -hmm. Okay. As in, we are no longer present right. because if you get enough in your head, you're thinking about something that is not about what the horse is doing right now and right. what the horse is feeling right now and the next step and the next step and where his ears are and what his back feels like and what his feet feel, feel like you're, you're thinking about something that's two or three years ago or something mm. you read or something you heard or whatever. And you have now gone left the building. Elvis has left the building and the horse is going, where Why did you? you leave? Where did you go? You yeah. know? So I think when the other thing that did for me was instead of me going into my head, into my frustration and thinking about me and how frustrated I was, it, it started to say, okay, what can you do different right now? Right. Which is based on what the horse is doing right now. And all of a sudden we're back in the moment again. I, I'm present again, you know, um, which I think to horses is so important and is part of the because of or despite thing is it is going to be just about impossible to achieve a goal of being able to consistently get my horse to do things because of me if I am not mentally present. Right. 
which is really, yeah. yeah, really, really hard for yeah. human beings to do. And I think we're in a good place in the history of horsemanship in that we're starting to acknowledge that that's an important part of the deal. Um, but I think as a culture, we're in a pretty bad place mm -hmm. because with all of our technology and our phones and everything, you don't ever have to be present. You know, mm -hmm. you don't, if you are at the doc, I mean, I'm, I do it, you know, I'm sitting in a doctor's office. Well, mm -hmm. I don't really have to be sitting in the doctor's office because I can get my phone out and scroll through Facebook, right. you know, and I'm with my friend in England and then I scroll a little further and I'm with my friend down the road and right. then I'm with my friend in California and I'm with my friend in wherever, you know, Wyoming. And I don't have to be in that doctor's office, you know? So it's, I think it's a big part of being able to master because of, mm -hmm. and it's a big reason why we struggle with despite Mm -hmm. is because we're not present enough for that horse and he's going to do things despite us because to him, we're not even really there. Right. We're as, as, at least in a way that's meaningful to him and that he can hang on to. Right. You Consistently know. too. I think that's yeah. where someone might start the ride or kind of come to in the middle of the ride, depending on what's going on. And we're not used to practicing it in our non-horse life too. As you said, you know, I do the same thing. You know, if I'm in line or if I'm in a waiting room, I've got the phone out, I've got something going on and it becomes a habit of, of that rather than sitting and maybe being aware or observing or doing something that actually is maybe a little bit more, focused, you know, it's, it's uh, rather than the constant distraction, or maybe just doing one thing in the waiting room, like I'm just going to read this book, or I'm just going to focus on this, you know, video that my friend sent me, and that's it. But it is hard, you know, it is kind of a rush, rush, multitask. And um, usually, I feel like horses are a great, are a great sort of university of focus opportunity because if you don't focus they they give you really clear feedback sometimes it takes a while with the horse that's maybe a little more shut down but the feedback is pretty you know most people who want to be with horses even if they might not be fully as focused they eventually start to notice and then they want to learn more because the horses kind of again draw us into their world but um, I would love to see a scenario where people are able to not just be one way with the horses, but also take what they learn from the horses and put it into their day-to-day -day life a little bit. And so it's less of a either or, you know, I'm, I'm kind of hyper and multitasking in my work life, but then I, I have to turn that off when I go to the horses. Maybe you can take some of the things that you learn with the horses and bring that into your work life. So you don't have to do this so much it might actually make you more effective at work. So, but that's a bigger cultural issue. I'm just going to check here real quick. I haven't even looked to see if there's any questions. Um, so let me see what's going on here real quick. Well, maybe while you're doing that, I can uh, talk about filling in really quick. Yeah, let's do that. Because filling in is uh, part of a horse doing things despite you. Um, but filling in was a term that I heard 
20 or 25 years ago in the horsemanship world. And what filling in means is that the horse does the thing correctly, even though you asked him wrong. Um, or you got in his way in some way, or in some way you did not help a whole lot. Mm -hmm. And so he did it despite you, okay? Right. He didn't get real clear direction. He didn't get good timing. He didn't get good feel. He, he didn't get much accuracy from you, but he did the thing anyway. And I feel like filling in is a really important thing to know about for all of us because one, I think a horse, when he does fill in, he deserves a good deal of appreciation for mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. and positive feedback um, because that can turn into what I would call saving your ass sometimes. Okay. Right. Um, so, and the other part of that is that if a horse can fill in, that makes him a safer horse for less skilled people. Mm -hmm. So it becomes an important marker for us to know our ability level and then the, the fill-in skill that your horse is going to need if you and he are going to be able to get along, okay? So do you need a horse who can fill in quite a bit? Or do you need a horse who doesn't need to fill in at all? Because you can always fill in for him. You're very skilled. You have very good timing and feel. Um, so it's a, it's a thing to be aware of. Like school horses are masters at filling in, okay? Mm -hmm. So um, a good school horse, when accidentally being given a canner cue, by a tiny little peanut kid whose legs don't even come down past the flap on an English saddle, they get an accidental canter cue. That horse is not going to canter. No. Okay. He's going to fill in. All right. And that's, that's what filling in is. So he's not cantering. He's continuing to trot or walk or whatever it is, despite what the human just did. Okay. Right. So, you know, uh, working horses, uh, fill in a lot once they learn the job like you can see these really cool uh, videos on Facebook of guys they'll have like a calving sled yeah. where you, they go out and the, the sled is tied around the horn of their saddle and they'll go out and they'll put a calf in the sled and turn the horse loose and the horse will take the calf back to the barn you know that's filling in that's yeah. doing the right thing, even though he's not getting the right cue. Although the cue is him getting turned loose, I guess. I guess. Um, yeah. So, so there are times when, especially if you work cows at all, you'll get so that your horse will feel which cow you're looking at, and they start to really dial in at that point. At that point, now he's filling in. A horse who walks right up to a gate and positions the rider right for the latch of the gate is filling in. Mm -hmm. um, so filling in without taking over. So again, we have like, it's not as easy as just saying it's good for a horse to fill in because it is until he takes over, right. you know, and then he can maybe make some decisions that aren't so good because there's too many variables out there. Mm -hmm. So I think filling in is something really important to be aware of. Um, and when my horse fills in, I, I, he gets a lot of appreciation from me because I, I value that I don't 
demand it. I don't expect it, but I really appreciate it when it happens. So I feel like the horse knows that he just filled in. Mm -hmm. And I think it means something to him when he knows that we know that he just filled in. Well, that was a really nice job you did there filling in. That was good. That was, yeah. I appreciate that. You know, that was nice. Um, Cause he knows he did it, you know, and then the other flip side of that is, is one time I had a student here and she was using one of my horses and she was asking the horse incorrectly to do something. And she didn't give him a chance to fill in. She stopped. And I said, wait, 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 why did you stop right there? And she said, well, I was asking him wrong. And I said, well, you're going to untrain my horse, <laughs> you know, because you just gave your intention, your picture in your mind. Once you have the picture in the mind, you're set. Mm -hmm. you, there is a series of events that are now going to happen and it's the picture in the mind that starts it. Okay. So your intention was out there already. Okay. Now you didn't physically follow it up correctly, but what you just said to this horse was, okay, I have this picture. Okay. Now I'm struggling with getting you to do the picture. So we're just going to, I'm going to take what you just did and say, okay, release. Yeah, I see. Okay, so now this picture resulted in a completely different movement. Whoa, whoa, yeah, yeah. you know, and if you want to operate on that level at any point, you got to become aware of that. You got to start to understand that when you start with the picture, you start the ball rolling. Right. You know, the die is cast now. So when she gave him a release, I would have rather seen her struggle through a whole bunch of things and maybe change how she was presenting, learn to, to, to go from one thing that wasn't working, say, well, maybe if I move my hand differently, or maybe if I move my feet, or maybe if I just exhale, or maybe if I just calm down, or maybe just try in the process on your feet. Think mm -hmm. on your feet. Okay, this isn't working. I need to do something else. What could I do? I could move my hands. Mm -hmm. I could make a noise. I could add some life. I could, I could, I could, I could, I could, right? So at least try so that the horse can get something closer so that then you can at least say, okay, wait, that was closer. I need to lick and chew and think on that for a minute, right? Mm -hmm. And you can, and then you can, you can try again. So that was a really interesting incident where I got to think about filling in. Like that horse didn't even have a chance to fill in because she quit so quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, this isn't going to work. I'm doing it wrong. I'm just going to quit. My hands well, up. Yeah. But meanwhile, my horse is going, why did I get a release for that? Because right. you were almost there, you know, and like I have a horse here who's a super good uh, school horse because he doesn't, uh, give out awards for getting close right. to Schoolmaster. correct, you know, yeah. and, and he's, and he'll do it wrong all day long and doesn't right. care, never gets frustrated. He's so laid back about it. He's just like, you know what? That ain't going to work. 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 It's taken my <laughs> husband three years to be able to get a right lead on this horse consistently. Wow. That horse will do left lead, left lead, left lead, left lead, left lead, left lead, left lead. He doesn't care. He'll go around in a counter canner. He's worked it out. He's just like, you know, Glenn, when you figure it out, I will let you know, you know, <laughs> and he, he really doesn't mind. So he's great because then when I'm teaching on him, 
I can give the hint and I can say, well, why don't you add a little bit of life? Try that. And I can mm -hmm. actually teach the student how to, while they're in the middle of it not working, segue into a different try on their part and see if they get different feedback from the horse. Because that's what we do that they don't know how to do, right? Mm. Is I take a horse and I'm like, oh shoot, that ain't working. And I try something else. I right. don't have to stop and go email somebody or something and say, what should I do? This isn't working. Is I go, okay, that didn't work. And then before anybody can even notice that it didn't work sometimes, because people say, how did you know exactly what to do? And I'm like, I tried three or four things before it worked. Yeah. You didn't see that, you yeah. know? So a lot of times now, if I'm working a horse and that happens, I'll point it out. I'll say, hey, hey y'all, I'm doing this right now and it's not working. So I'm going to change. And now I'm going to try this and see if it works. And I'm going to give it five or 10 seconds. And then I'm going to go to the next thing. And I'm going to have a plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. Yeah, and they're probably going to get uglier as they go along. <laughs> you know, plan A is going to be the prettiest one. Well, but, and, and you know, probably your segues between your different plans are probably pretty smooth too. Like for someone else who's new, it'd be, it'd be like, this isn't working. And a lot of people go, okay, I need to release so that I can then think of the next thing I have to do. So I think when you're, when you're searching, if you're just getting me kind of thinking on this, if let's say I'm writing, it's not, something's not working out. I've requested something. It's not happening. Instead of, I, I developing the skill of going, okay, I'm going to segue into the next thing rather than let go of this and then regather. It's more like I'm going to change my seat aid and then shift. So to the horse, it feels like a series of requests that are all related to the same mental picture I'm having rather mm -hmm. than stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. And so that's something too for people, I think, to keep in mind that the segue is important. If you just quit, then you're not really you're not really doing that series of tries, that series of alternate plans. You're you're quitting and then restarting, which is not quite so good. So. And you've got the risk of that quitting of your quitting being, being interpreted as a release, right? So which would be un unintentional, intentional, of course. Right. Right. But an unintentional release teaches just as well as an intentional one. Right. So it's it's a it's an interesting thing it's you know you can say to somebody okay say they're looking for a side pass and so they put the leg down and the horse walks forward so they stop him and they back him up well now they've completely changed the subject okay right. so they started out with a picture of a side pass they started out with cues they thought were for a side pass they started out believing the horse was gonna side pass the horse walked forward instead so they stop him and they basically correct him for walking forward by backing him up and then they stop and they restart, right? Mm -hmm. Well, but we just changed the whole subject on the horse entirely. Whereas what you could do is I put the, I got my picture of my side pass. I have my intention. I have a plan. I have a belief it's going to work out. I put the cues on, my horse walks forward. I say, okay, what if I close the front door enough that that energy I have right now, which is movement, which is what I need, just goes forward. I mean, sideways. Right. So I'll block it from going forward and go sideways. And maybe my cues need more work until, you know, I'm going to maybe be, have a little bit more in the front end Mm -hmm. pressure in the front end that I would like. I don't want to have to use my hand that much when I do a side pass, but obviously we're in a teaching moment here because right. he's already done the wrong thing. 
So then on the fly, I can say, oh, wow, he's just walking through the front door here. I better close the front door. And then he'll see the side doors open. Right. right? And meanwhile, I'll check that the side doors open enough. Right. So it's ways of thinking, you know, uh, that I, I know are, are difficult to, you know, to, to kind of get all that going and work your body at the same time is crazy. You know, yeah. it's crazy. And, and I empathize so much with my uh, students who are learning to ride as adults, you know, because so many um, of the demographic of horse owners in America today are middle-aged women who have returned to horses after time mm-hmm. away which means they rode either a little bit or a lot as a kid. And then they've taken decades off while they had a career and raised kids and did Mm -hmm. all that. And now they have time and they want a horse again in their life. And then you have people who have never ridden before and they're 50 years old and they're going to pick it up. Well, you know, when I'm riding my Colts and the dog comes through the grass and spooks him and he jumps straight up in the air, you know, and kicks out with a hind leg. Um, the only thing that's keeping me in the saddle is all the neurology I built as a kid riding mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. you know, it's my, it's me riding down the ditch on a state highway in Wisconsin in the summer and that horse seeing a can, you know, mm-hmm. or a piece of plastic in the ditch and him jumping up onto the side of the road or into further into the ditch or whatever. And how many times I did that. And I'll look at my husband and say, you know what, thank God that I rode as a kid and, and I got, the we call it muscle memory but it's really neurology to be able to do that because I sympathize so much with somebody my age who would be trying to learn how to do that now right because I couldn't learn how to do it now and I'm so physically dinged up now it'd be stupid to try you know I'd get hurt but as soon as that happens all that old neurology just takes over I don't even have to think about it you know so it, I don't even think about it because I'm like, you know what, Kathleen, if it happens, by the time you could actually do something about it, it's no, going to no. be over anyway. Right, right. And your, your brain is just going to pull that file out of the dust bin so quickly <laughs> right, that's that, its job, right? you know, yeah. that's its job and it's really good at it. Yeah. So I, you know, I think it's super, super challenging for people to learn to ride today, you know, and my husband rode a little bit as a, at a kid, as a kid, which meant they took their horse out away from the barn and then they turned it around and turned it loose and held onto the horn and let it run home. That was their experiment with riding as a kid for him. And so he's trying to learn all this stuff as an adult and, you know, he'll say, God, Kathleen, why is this taking me so long? And I'm like, you know, it takes the time it takes you know, because you're trying to learn something completely different. How long did it take to learn you to golf? You right. know, how long did it take for you to learn to water ski? You know, mm-hmm. how long did it take for you to learn how to dance? Because those are all things he's done, you know, and then he'll say, well, I, I tried to learn how to golf for many years and, and never ever did. And I'm like, well, but look at your riding, look at the videos. Right. It is coming along, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but it's hard, but I think, for a lot of people, talking about these kind of concepts definitely can can really help with the learning curve. Um, and even if if you like, I heard lots of stuff when I was a kid, just being a barn rat and just hanging around. 
I didn't understand what people were talking about. They were talking about splints and suspensories and I mean, just all the stuff I heard that, that I had no idea what it was didn't matter. Mm-hmm. I was taking in the lingo. I was, I was, I was absorbing, you know, um, and that was all very, very valuable. So, you know, Leslie Desmond is a person who, um, this is a great story. And, and I have since contacted her about this story, um, and, and told her what happened after the fact. Because a lot of times as a teacher, especially for traveling, you never know what happened after right. you left. <laughs> so I was in a Leslie Desmond clinic, and it was one of the first, very first horsemanship clinics I had ever been to. And it was before True Horsemanship with Feel came out. So she, I think she was just oh. starting to work on it. And um, I was there in my hard hat and my britches with my thoroughbred in my bridle. And everybody's in cowboy hats with rope halters. And um, she said, you know, hey, you over there, um, I want you to go over in that corner. And I want you to put this halter on your horse. And I want you to move each of his feet individually 50 times each using only the halter and the lead rope. And if two feet move at the same time, it doesn't count. It doesn't have to be 50 in a row. It has to be 50 total where you move just one foot and you can't cheat. It has to be the foot you intended to move. So I was like, what on (laughs) earth? Who is this person? What is it? But I'm a good student. You know, I do what I'm told and I'm obedient. And so I went and I did it. And literally 15 years later, I was holding a horse for the farrier who was really good to shoes. She was an imported warm blood from Europe. And she would, he would turn around from his anvil and she would unweight the foot he looked at. And he was talking about how, you know, I mean, farriers were like this with her, you know, right. she was just everybody loved to shoe Ruby. And um, I remember the day I was standing there with the lead rope and I thought, what if I could get her to unweight that foot before he turned around? What if I did it instead? I see what she's doing. I see why he likes her for it. And then my other horse, what if I could cause my horse to do what Ruby's doing? Because if I could make my young horse be like Ruby is when she's grown up, that would be the thing, wouldn't it? So I started experimenting with getting these horses to unweight a foot before the farrier would go to pick it up. And the penny dropped, as they say in England, or it clicked. That's what Leslie Desmond was talking about. Now, for 15 years, that thing that Leslie Desmond had me do bore basically no fruit that I know of, no fruit that I was conscious of. It took 15 years of that just simply cogitating around and it being there and rolling around and that little seed living through drought after drought after drought after drought after drought. And it took a lot of being exposed to more and, and changing my group of friends and, you know, show me your friends and I'll show you your future um, and everything. And then there was that day where clunk, you know, it fell into place and I went, Oh my gosh, that's like, she was trying to give me the key 
to the city. You know, now mm -hmm. what's really interesting is she was offering the key to the city to a person who couldn't possibly know how to use it. Right. And she was figuring it was a pretty drought ridden country to begin with that she was throwing <laughs> that seed on, right? I mean, from the clothes to the attitude to the way my horse operated, you know, everything showed that it was going to be a hard sell. It was right. going to be a hard sell. And more likely than not, her effort was going to be wasted. Okay. And as it turns out, it was not. So I had emailed her actually just a couple of years ago. And I told her that story. I said, I just have to tell you what happened because I, I want you to take heart and know that if, if you want to tell somebody something, you know, you should, because in this case it worked out. And I said, I got to tell you as a teacher, what I learned from you is to, even though I'm convinced from a rational standpoint that a student couldn't possibly take on the lesson that I could offer them right now in this situation, um, that I probably should do that anyway, because I'm not really in charge of when the message goes in. Yeah. I'm in charge of whether they get exposed to it or not in that setting, but I'm not, obviously Leslie Desmond was not in charge of when that lesson went in. No, it's, it it's, has, the, it's the ultimate set it up and let them find it. And that might be decades down the road. Or and, maybe not at all. Or maybe not at all, but unless you set it up, you know, there's no... Well, then, you know, Wayne yeah. Gretzky said you miss 100% of the shots you, don't, you take, don't take. You don't know? take, right, exactly. <laughs> right? And, and uh, I'm going to tell you one more fruit that came from that instruction that Leslie gave you, which is that I heard about that story. I must have heard about it on your page or maybe it was through a blog post. I don't remember, but it stayed with me. And then when I started teaching interns, teenage interns, I started teaching them some groundwork when they were working through the, the charity. Lope is the charity that I run too, and we have teen internships. And um, two or three of the girls had horses that were in rehab. They could do groundwork, but that was it. And they didn't have a lot of understanding of this. And I gave them that same assignment, only it was instead of 50 times, it was five times on each foot. And it blew their minds. And they were like, how do we do that? And I'm like, it's a good question. Figure it out. <laughs> you know, and so, and, and it was really cool. And, and for all of the girls, it set off these light bulb moments. You know, of course, I'm blowing on the fire, like right there, like trying to <laughs> kind of keep it, get it ignited. But they were all such, they were all such sensitive, dedicated girls, you know, and they loved their horses. And it was really cool. And it's like, so that goes all the way back to, you know, your experience. So it's, it's a multitude of things that get set up and, and other people find it as well. I'm going to tell you now that we've done exactly the same thing we did before. This no supposed to be It's over an hour we've been talking. <laughs> and uh, most of the comments that have come in have been people just love the discussion on frustration because, you know, just to know that like you get frustrated, everyone gets frustrated, that they feel like, ah, oh, that makes so much sense. So that's been super helpful. But I think we probably should call it a day unless, <laughs> unless uh, we're going to be here for four hours. Obviously, we need to do this again, maybe closer to the end of the month. But I got a huge amount out of this conversation, and I really loved uh, particularly the discussion about we can control what we do, and because uh, I'm one of those people who gets in my head a lot, and so it was just great talking with you, Kathleen. I really appreciate 
you know, your wisdom and also your willingness to, to be sort of, you know, subjected to my questions <laughs> and to my audience. Yeah. So. Well, I, I enjoy, um, the, the reason I like teaching and, and writing and stuff like that, I think one of them is that I have to, I get the opportunity to kind of think through um, how to do this, you know, and, and all the different things that go into it. And, and there's so many, and um, I, I get to think through my process, you know, and somebody else's process is going to be different. But the beauty of like this is, is like that. The thing about frustration, you know, well, out of this hour and whatever, you know, if somebody got one thing yeah. out of it that applies to them and their horse and their life, then it was worth it because we're all really different and we all have different backgrounds and everything. And so, you know, you never know, you know, they're all just little seeds that you're scattering out there, yeah. you know, and like I said last time, you know, the goal of any kind of teacher is to save somebody else heartache. And yes. it's, it's not even that we want to give anybody a shortcut, you know, because then by the same token, I want to see you pay your dues. Right, right, right. You know, right. That's how you, you learn. You don't, yeah. yeah, you don't yeah. get a silver spoon in your mouth around here. No, you no. know, you got to pay your dues because this is tough stuff. But to just to save some of the overt stupid mistakes that we all made, and continue I, I to make. I made more of them. So especially on my I, record, well, I made. I made so many. I just don't. If you've made I, a mistake, yeah. you're not sure you've made it badly enough. Check with me. I can probably <laughs> give you a story that will make you feel a lot better about yourself. Oh so. my gosh! Yeah, man. I mean, wow. So you know that the whole point is to just help others, and even if help others is as simple as you're not out there alone. Right. You know. And there isn't a struggle that you're having with a horse that somebody else hasn't had because the Spanish riding school has been around for 600 years. Right. And the horse has not evolved much in the last 600 years. So, and if you go back to Xenophon, the art of horsemanship, Xenophon yeah, yeah. was written BC. You know what BC stands for? Before Christ. Before Christ, there was Xenophon. Okay. Right. So, and I they mean, were frustrated with each other. <laughs> uh, well you know yeah I yeah mean, he had to figure things out he right thought exactly. about it, you know yeah that's what so, that book's about yeah I mean we're kind of we're thinking we're reinventing the wheel every time we discover something cool about horses but I I believe we you know we're treading over ground that other people have tread on but you need to tread your own ground anyway right you know we all do so you can only do your own work. You can only take your own path. It might be similar to somebody else's, but it's not going to be the same, no. you know? So I think it's super cool to share the road with people along the way, you know, because what is one of the most fun things about traveling is you meet somebody who are going the same direction for a short period of time, right? right. right. And that is just so cool and invigorating. And this is just the same to yeah. me. Yeah, well, super cool. It is cool. Kathleen, thanks for being on the journey with all of us here. And, Thank you for uh, inviting me. Yeah, I look forward to seeing you soon. Yeah, let me know. And yeah, we'll for sure. pick another topic. Yeah, and we'll obviously we, 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 can we, converse, we converse easily together. So that's, <laughs> I think we've established that after like, what, three hours of talking over the last two <laughs> interviews. So, geez. Well, take care. Have a great day. And thank you again, Kathleen. Okay, you too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 
I hope you enjoyed the discussion with Kathleen as much as she and I did. For more information on Kathleen and her incredible work, please check out the show notes for links to her Facebook page and blog posts. As always, I thank you for listening and I hope you have a wonderful day.